You're listening to Radically Agile, powered by Catalent. Tune in to hear thought leaders, operators, and visionaries share their expertise, lessons learned, and best practices for how to prepare for the rapidly changing world of work. Now, let's get Radically Agile. This week on Radically Agile, we'll be sharing an exclusive presentation given by Catalan's co-founder, Pat Petiti, at the recent Reimagining Work Summit held in October. Pat talks about today's rapidly evolving market demands and explains why companies need to be nimble and consider disrupting themselves in order to adapt and stay competitive. Excited to have you. Um, I'll tell you, if, if you know me, you know that I get fired up pretty easily. And I actually had five different Catalan employees come up to me before I came up and say, hey, Pat, just make sure you don't get too excited. Um, and so you know, I'm trying to calm down a little bit. But, uh, um, but the reason I'm so excited is because it is conversations like this that really help inform what our business is. And what I want to talk to you about is how, over the past five and a half years, we've really used the conversations like the ones we're having today to think about even disrupting ourselves. And you might say, you know, 160-person company, maybe disrupting yourselves is in some ways easier. But, you know, when you're a venture-backed company, actually putting at risk core parts of your business and fundamentally changing what you do is actually incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult. And I'll share with you um, some of what we went through as, uh, as we did that. Um, but first, you know, I want to start with, um, you know, why, why do we think companies are actually going about doing this? Why is disruptive innovation important? It's because companies are recognizing that the ability for them to be successful is critically tied to their ability to innovate. When Brian asked a question earlier, why do companies need to innovate, it's because innovation, or Joe earlier asked a question about why is innovation important. Innovation is synonymous with growth. Innovation is synonymous with success for large companies. Innovation is what lets you get into new markets. It's what lets you create new products. And being able to do that quickly is incredibly important to what you do. And when we think of, uh, most of you probably recognize Clay Christensen. We've had the good fortune of uh, spending a little bit of time with him. And what Clay really, he's, he's sort of, uh, he wrote a book called The Innovator's Dilemma. And he talks about disruptive innovation. Um, and when Clay talks about innovation and how innovation happens, how disruptive innovation happens, Clay talks about the job to be done. It's about customer centricity. And it's about understanding what is the job that your customer needs to be done. And so when you think about the ways that many of the industries that we've been talking about today have innovated over the past you know, five to 10 years, um, when I step back and if I could go back in time and tell myself some of the things that I'd be doing today, I would think that I was totally crazy. Uh, they're going to swap me out here. OK. Um, I would think that I was totally crazy. I thought that was going to be the tranquilizer dart to calm me down. Um, not yet. Um, I would think what I am doing today is totally crazy. It'd be hard to believe. But I think when you take the lens of the job to be done, it's actually pretty easy. Um, and it feels a lot more realistic to understand how, the how these industries have evolved. So you take retail. Think about retail. What's the job to be done for retail? It's to help consumers get the product that they need at a price that feels fair when they need it. And um, in digital transformation has enabled consumers to purchase in a fundamentally different way. And you think about all of the disruption that's happened in retail, and I won't go into all the details of it because Brian actually spoke a lot about this earlier. Think about financial services. I think this one is, is actually pretty, pretty amazing. Um, many people at our company are um, young enough that they would not believe that the way that you used to go and get money or deposit a check or manage your assets was you walked into a bank. And you did that on a regular basis. 
and you said hi to the teller because you knew him because you were there that often. And you maybe sat down with somebody in a cozy office to talk about your assets. Today, I can take out my cell phone. I can see how much money I have in my bank account. I can manage my assets. I could buy a stock at no fee on my phone right now. I could buy cryptocurrencies, whatever that really is. Um, uh, in a way, think about how much the financial services industry has, has innovated, how much it's changed. You take mobility. What's the job to be done for mobility? It's to get me from point A to point B as efficiently as possible. Now, imagine like 10 years ago, cars were really synonymous. There was a status symbol. The car that you drove said something about who you are. And today, millennials don't think about you know, what type of car do they have, what color car do they have, how cool is it. They think about how do I most efficiently get from point A to point B. That's the job to be done. And so you have companies like Uber, you have companies like Google, but you even have companies like Bird, the, the um, scooter company, that are fundamentally changing the way that people get from point A to point B because they focused on the job to be done. And think about all the implications of that as well. We have a world that, where the infrastructure is designed around cars. Think about how fundamental of a disruption that is. But the focus on the job to be done is what makes it realistic. Um, energy, so you know, we've talked a lot about energy as well. Many, many billions of dollars of uh, companies worth billions of dollars focused on very specific types of energies. But what's the job to be done for a consumer? I actually think this one's particularly interesting. The job to be done is to make sure my lights are on, make sure uh, my car moves, make sure you know, when I get on the airplane it's got enough fuel on it. But it isn't just about making sure that that's the case. Consumers of energy want to think about, well, is this energy company doing good for the world? They also care about, you know, will, will there be a world for my children to live in? And so there, and this was actually, um, you know, I'll, I'll look at the folks at DuPont. This was actually a topic that came up at a, at a leadership session that I was at uh, about a month ago there. And so grab um, Pamela and, um, and Matt if you have a chance. Um, but even for, for the energy industry, the job to be done, it's not just about you know, keeping the lights on, it's about is this a responsible company that I can trust? And you see the innovation that's happening around this industry based on that. And so what's Catalan's job to be done? Catalan's job to be done is to help companies get mission critical work done as efficiently as they can. And I'll get into some of the details about how we really disrupted ourselves to come to, to a real understanding of what that job to be done is. Um, but first I'll talk about, you know, why do we actually do this and how do we do this? Um, so many of you have, have seen some of these slides before. You know, the fact is, and this is really what, what I think Brian was really hitting on in the session before lunch, is that strategic initiatives really um, are slowed down by the inability to access the right skills at the right time. And over the past, particularly over the past 10 years or so, CEOs are reporting that one of their biggest concerns is the inability to find the skills that they need when they need it to do the work that they have to do. And you see you know, the trends around how long does it take to actually fill a full-time role. Um, you see this notion that you know, most of the best ideas must lie outside of the walls of my companies. And I think a lot of that's driven by the fact that the types of skills needed are changing faster and faster than ever before, which you know, we certainly see at many of your companies. Um, and we know that companies that can operate with agility actually are substantially more successful. Companies that operate with agility have, um, they get work done faster, of course. Um, they develop products and get them to market that much faster. They have higher reven revenues. They have substantially higher customer satisfaction because they are, in fact, customer-centric. Um, companies that, that have figured out how to be more agile are more successful. We know that. Um, but adapting with agility is incredibly difficult to do, right? And so the questions that we always hear our customers asking about 
is um, how do we find the right people? And those right people, increasingly, are probably not on my team. Those right people might be somewhere else inside of my organization. Or those right people might be outside of my company. But what we're really seeing happening is challenging the notion of what does it even mean to be an employee? What does it mean to be a person who works at our company? And the lines between internal talent and external talent are absolutely blending. Um, second is, how do I access the right skills? So traditionally, the way that people think about um, bringing people into their organization is they write a job description, and then they say, great, we've got a job description, now we've got to go find somebody and we've got to get a butt into this seat. And the fact is that increasingly, it is not about talent acquisition. Talent acquisition is an important thing, of course. But if you just think about talent acquisition, you are missing out on a massive opportunity. If you think about talent access, you can find the right skills you need, and it may not be a full-time hire. It may be somebody who's already inside the organization. It might be somebody who's outside of the organization. It might be a consulting firm that you have a relationship with. Um, it could be somebody who used to work at your company. But making that shift from talent acquisition to really saying, it is about talent access. How can we be exceptional at talent access? Absolutely key to doing this well. And then last is deploying the right teams at the right time. So you think about now um, in a world where the best skills may be inside and outside of your organization, and accessing those right skills um, means that you may be building up teams of people who have never worked together before, may never work together again. And in fact, we've seen cases where there are people who will work together for many months on a project, but will never actually meet in person. Um, how do you deploy those teams in an effective way? How do you challenge many of the processes and the um, sort of cultural protocols that exist inside of your business that make it very, very difficult for you to go about deploying those teams effectively? You know, we know um, one key part of this is really rethinking this idea of what your organizational structure is. So actually, I think it, it, this sort of came up in the conversation with, uh, with uh, Megan from Uber and, and, uh, and Kate and, uh, and, the, and um, the, the folks from General Assembly. Um, companies, if you think about the way that they get work done today, the most important work that you're doing is typically done as a, it's a cross-functional initiative. It requires people from across the organization. It requires a complex set of skills and capabilities and experience. That is not the way your organization is actually structured. If you were to structure the, your organization based on the way that you're actually working today, it certainly wouldn't look like the thing on the left. And in fact, it looks like the thing on the left because that's the way that the company needed to be structured, you know, 50, 60, 126 years ago. And I'll tell you a story. I was actually out at, um, I was talking to, to Sue about this um, after her talk. I was at um, GE Life Sciences, and the CMO of the business um, grabbed me and he said, you gotta see this thing that I found. And he drags me back to his office and he pulls out this like big billboard. And it's a billboard from like 1950 something. And it shows like the organizational, an organizational structure. And then he pulls up his computer and he like clicks around and he's like, look, it's the exact same organizational structure. <laughs> yeah, like 60 something or other years later, um, and it's the same org structure. And that is not because it should be the same org structure. That's because it's hard to change your org structure and it's hard to challenge it. But when you actually think about some of the most important work happening in your company, this thing on the right might look crazy and it might look uh, futuristic. But in fact, I would bet you that most of the most important work that's happening inside of your company today looks a lot more like this than it does like the thing on the left. And now getting there is not easy. Getting there requires you to actually think differently about how you create teams on projects. 
Getting there requires you to make changes to um, what the expectations are of a manager. And it requires you to think differently about how governance works inside of your company. But that is the way that companies are working today. And that is the way that agile companies are increasingly thinking about how, uh, how they really view their workforce. You know, to do that well also requires you to think, um, to think in a really different way about who your workforce is and how you, how you take the skills needed to identify who the right people are as part of that workforce. And so, you know, I've spent a lot of time talking with many of you about um, how you use consulting firms. And consulting firms, every, I think everybody here would say that consulting firms are critical to your ability to get your work done um, as effectively as you can. The challenge is that most companies would tell you that when they use consulting firms, they do it in a very reactive way. And that's large, in large part because they aren't thinking really um, strategically about what their true workforce looks like. If you ask most people who's your workforce, they talk about people who have a company badge. But the fact is, to be able to work with agility, to be able to find the skills and expertise you need when you need it, you have to think really strategically about who your workforce is. And it isn't just, it isn't just people with a company badge. Your workforce is certainly people with a company badge, but it's also people who used to work at your company. It's people who work at consulting firms that you're partnering with. Your workforce are people who you've never met before, who are freelancers, who are around the world. Um, you really need to think more holistically about who your workforce is. And if you can do that effectively, you can think about, well, now how do I find the right skills across our true, um, our true workforce? And how can I deploy the right teams, you know, knowing that those teams are increasingly going to be a combination of people from you know, a variety of places? And this is really, we really root what we do in helping companies get work done faster. So there are a lot of benefits to engaging your employees in a more dynamic way. And we actually think if you do that really effectively, it does help you get work done faster. But it, this is all in the purpose of helping you effectively execute as efficiently as you possibly can. And it's helping you execute against the most important work that you need to execute against, as Brian was alluding to. And so that really means, you know, you've got the supply on one, on one side, you've got the talent on one side, but on the other side, you really have to think about what are our business priorities, what are the initiatives that we have to get done, how do we systematically break that down into the work streams and the projects that we need to do that work so that we can actually say, these are the skills that we need to do our most important work, and these are the people available to us to help us do that effectively. And so what, what Catalent does, which I think um, I'm hoping most of you know, um, if this is surprising to you, then let me know who your account executive is. Um, <laughs> uh, just kidding. Um, what Catalent does is we have a technology platform and we partner with large organizations to help them organize their most important initiatives, identify what their most important projects are, break those projects down into their most discrete forms of work, understand the skills needed, and connect them into the people, um, the talent that they have available to them to help them do that work at the right time. And that was not, um, I'll tell you, that was not always our business, um, but I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. But um, in, in doing that, you know, we've, we've really learned some important things about what, what a company that's truly going to operate with agility needs to do from a mindset um, standpoint and from an approach standpoint if they're gonna be successful. And we don't know this because, you know, we were a bunch of smart people sitting in a conference room. Um, we know this because of, you know, events like this, because of conversations that we've had with many of you in the room here. Um, but, you know, I'll tick through a couple of these quickly because I do think these are compelling and important. Um, first is, you know, and I, I referenced this, competitive companies really ha need to have a more agile operating model um, to work on mission-based initiatives and projects. So they really need to organize themselves around what's the most important initiatives that we have to do 
and how do we break that down into the projects that we have to get done. And certainly related to that is understanding what are our key projects and not thinking about um, you know, our job description and not thinking about you know, having a bunch of people who sit in a room and each day figure out what they do, but instead saying what are the most important projects that we have to get done and how can we break those projects into the skills needed to do that work. And if you can do that effectively, um, you can really focus on talent access instead of talent acquisition, which I'd mentioned before. Um, you know, the, the other, the big implications of doing all of this, of course, one, one of the biggest ones that we see is that the role of a manager in a world that operates in this way is actually fundamentally different than the role of a manager um, of the past. And so imagine a manager where the people who are doing work for you aren't actually on your team all the time. Or where people who are on your team are doing work for other people across the organization. Or imagine a world where the people who are doing some of your most important work don't have a company badge, they don't have the same incentives that your full-time employees have, and you, know, you may never even meet them in person. That is a fundamentally different type of manager. It's a fundamentally different set of responsibilities for a manager. And so you know, we see that leading companies are really, really challenging what does it mean to be a manager in a world that works in, in a very different way, in a world driven by technology. Um, and so I'll jump into a little bit you know, how we think about disrupting ourselves because it's, it's uh, not very fair to have everybody else come up here and say, uh, and, and share their stories about how they're disrupting themselves if we don't do a little bit of it too, right? Um, and so, um, you know, why do we have to think about disrupting ourselves constantly? It's because the world is changing very, very quickly. The world is changing incredibly quickly, faster than ever before, and it will only speed up, as Sue, uh, as Sue mentioned before. 162 million people in the U.S. and Europe engage in some form of independent work. Now that's a stat that if you went back 10 years ago, you wouldn't have believed. Um, we know that the growing number of co-working spaces means that people are, the way that people actually work, the place from which they work is fundamentally changing as well. And companies are adapting to that fact. In fact, um, the vast majority, we know the, the WeWork team pretty well, and the vast majority of WeWork's growth has actually come from large organizations that are recognizing that they have to think in a fundamentally different way about where they set up and where they allow people to work from if they're going to be able to access the right talent. And so for us, the way that our business really started, um, has, has, was anybody here an hourly nerd customer before Catalan? Lisa was from Staples. Yeah. So the way that our business really started is we were a marketplace. We had a marketplace of external talent that we wanted to be able to connect, um, connect our customers to, um, to help them get work done when they didn't have the talent that they needed or they couldn't find it. And we thought we were really, back in the day, building an alternative to the consulting industry. Um, and we thought, you know, we were consulting for the rest of us, or a bunch of taglines we used to throw around, or we were, um, you know, con uh, unbundled version of consulting. And that was our business. But about two and a half years ago, we surveyed our customers and we asked them, when you use Catalant, what are you using it instead of? And we expected that, they, that we were actually doing it as part of a fundraising process, to be honest. And we expected that they would say, um, that we, um, we use consulting instead of, uh, we use Catalan instead of consulting firms, and we would have had a really great slide in our pitch deck that would have said, consulting industry, 10x the size of Uber, um, uh, you know, biggest companies in the world using us instead of consulting firms, and, um, and so, you know, we'd, we'd go to our pitch, wipe the VC drool off the table, sign the term sheet, and, and we'd be running. Um, but the funny thing was, what our customers told us was that only 30 to 40% of the time, were they using us instead of consulting firms? 
the other times, they were using us instead of some combination of, um, of re-engaging former employees, whether they were alumni or, or retirees. They were using us instead of hiring full-time employees. And really, the really interesting thing that we saw is they were using us instead of engaging people and continuing to search for people who already worked inside of their organization, but who they, they just couldn't find on their own. And so we had a, a hard decision to make. We said, well, we think we're building a really good bit, and we had the marketplace business was, uh, and you know, still is a core part of what we do, and was exceptional and, and growing very quickly at the time. We had, uh, we had investors who um, want to see a return and want to see a business that's really successful. But we said, you know, if we focus on the job to be done for our customers, the job to be done is not to find an alternative to consulting. The job to be done is to access the talent they need when they need it. And if we're going to listen to our customers and we're going to, um, to really try and solve the job that they need done, we're going to have to actually disrupt ourselves in some ways. And so we made a shift where, and this was a, a, not an easy thing to do, not as easy as clicking a button on a, on a slide uh, advanced, I'll tell you that. Um, but we made a shift where we said, you know what, our marketplace is incredibly core to what we do. And we have been able to really delight customers by giving them access to external high-end talent. But we actually have to say, you know what, sometimes you already have the right person inside of your organization, and we're going to help you find that person. Even if that means that instead of using our marketplace, you, we're just going to help you go find somebody who already exists. And I remember the conversations that we went through where we said, you know, we might see that we really hurt our marketplace when we roll this out. Um, but the fact is, if we're going to focus on customer value, we have to be willing to disrupt what our, what our business for two and a half years really was. And today we even think about this. You know, we think about our Catalan expert marketplace is really important, but we've talked with actually many of you in the room, and some of you are actually testing some of this out with, about how can we connect you to other marketplaces, right? The talent doesn't have to be in Catalan's marketplace if it's external. The talent could be in the consulting firms you work with, and we work with companies to help them organize the consulting firms they already have relationships with so they can use them in the right ways. The talent could be in other marketplaces, Fiverr, TopTal, marketplaces that have talent that doesn't exist in Catalan's marketplace. You know, it's really about, for us, listening to our customers, and you know, something where this is directly from a handful of customers that we're working on with this, um, and making sure that we, say, we stay customer-centered and we're focused on what the job to be done is for our customers. And, you know, as I'll, I'll finish up quickly here, um, but, because uh, I could go on all day, as you could imagine. But, you know, as we think about um, uh, the, the fourth industrial revolution, as Sue was talking about, you know, you think about all of the changes that are still to come. And you think about the advancements in data, and AI, and analytics, um, and in cloud. And really, we start to think about, well, how can artificial intelligence increasingly push the boundaries around what we do, and increasingly force us to continue to disrupt ourselves? And so we even think about things like, you know, if our job is to make managers exceptional at getting the work done that they have to get done, how can we use AI to do that? If our job is to help companies organize their most important work, can we use AI to actually help them organize that work? And, I'll, you know, and what, I'll, what I'll close on is that to do this well and all of the disruption that we've done to ourselves and all of the innovations that we do ourselves um, come from working very, very, very closely with people like you. And it comes from the conversations that we have today. It comes from many of the conversations that we've already had together. It comes from true partnership. And so that's why we are so excited to have you all here today. That's why we're so excited for you to all get to meet each other as well, because there's a lot of amazing people in the room who we're, uh, we've been dying to get, uh, get to talk to each other. Um, because the only way that we're going to do this is uh, collectively 
with people who want to be on the cutting edge of innovation, who want to be constantly thinking about how they push their businesses to be better, to be more successful, to get work done more efficiently, to grow, to succeed, to innovate fast. And so it's all about partnering together um, with you, with us, with each other, so that we can do this well. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being exceptional partners to us. And uh, I don't know if I have time for questions, Rish. So, so I know for a fact that Pat will be here the rest of the day to answer questions, but it wouldn't be fair to, oh, to, to not offer up time for at least one question. Everyone else has taken a question, and I promise we won't cut into other folks' time. Uh, any burning issue questions for Pat? Wow. Sounds like I solved it all. Ah, oh, sorry. We got one. Uh, Pat, quick question. So in terms of these different initiatives, uh, who are the right stakeholders at the companies to really push these things through and, and get, you know, start to think about this in a different way? Yeah, that is a really, uh, thank you for asking that, Carlos. Um, would encourage people to meet Carlos. He's actually uh, an expert on our platform who's actually, I believe, worked with a bunch of the, the companies in the room. Um, that's a really good question. So one of the things that we, we had, uh, initially we had a hypothesis that this was really going to be driven by HR. Um, and what we found was that HR is a very important partner in doing this well, but, um, but for us to be successful, this really has to be tied to business outcomes, to driving ROI. And so the right people in the room, usually um, we work pretty closely with you know, somebody like Brian, we work really closely with somebody like Caroline, who is a business leader, um, who is thinking about their job is not to get their work done more efficiently, but to say, how do we make this organization get our work done more efficiently and innovate more efficiently? And HR is a very, very key stakeholder in helping us be successful and enable that. But it really is um, a business leader, whether they're the COO of a business, the GM of a business, um, head of strategy for a business, um, in, part, in close, close partnership with HR. I think we're, interestingly, we, we were actually with um, some Gartner analysts the other day. And I think, interestingly, we, we feel like we're really a place where business leaders and HR meet. You've been listening to Radically Agile, powered by Catalan, the go-to podcast for interpreting the dramatic changes underway in the world of work. Please visit agileworkforce.com or email us at radical at gocatalan.com to join the conversation.